All right, let's open up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Nobody's sleeping tonight. Just get that thought out of your head. You'll be going through the... If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. So make sure you pick that up. And uh, if you need help finding some of these books, just ask the person next to you. They'll be more than happy to help you out. Amen? Well, Pastor Jeff and Chet are in uh, El Salvador. So keep them in prayer. They, uh, they arrived actually this morning. They flew all night. He's crazy. He's crazy. I'll tell you guy. But they're there for a pastor's conference. So it's awesome to see what God is doing. So keep him in prayer. Also, guys, how many of you have... Signed up for the men's retreat. Tricked you tonight. Everybody, put your hands up. Come on, guys. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Remember what we said Sunday. If you need help financially, just see Larry, and we'll help you and take care of it for you as best we can. But get yourself signed up, and we'll be ready to go with that. So tonight, though, to obey or not to obey? Not too original, but it's better than, it's the best I could come up with as far as the title goes tonight here. Now, how many of you guys have been in the Philippines, in Manila specifically? I know we won't see too, too many hands, but probably more than not. So, all right, let me tell you about Manila, okay? One of the first things that happens when you get out of the airport is you realize you're, you're, you're in trouble. And in that place, the traffic in Manila is out of control. It's completely, I mean, it's hard to even describe it. Those, those of you that have been there, you know what I'm talking about. You get out of the airport, it's just a free-for-all. Bottom line is they do not obey any traffic laws in the Philippines, especially Manila. Red lights, green lights, turns, stops, lanes. There's no such thing as lanes. Everybody's just fighting. Cars coming within two inches of each other is just normal. And it's just like a game of chicken. And yet the crazy thing is I've never seen like a, a road rage fight or nothing. It's like, all right. You won this time, I'll get you next time, because that's what they do. They do this back and forth, back and forth. Well, the reason that they do that, of course, in the Philippines, one, there's way too many cars, right? But also, there are no police. It's like 10,000 to one, so they know that they can get away with it. Now, the same thing is happening in the United States, right? Right here in California. I mean, has anybody ever stopped for a stop sign anymore? It's just, we roll through those things. And how about the left-hand turn on the red? I mean, how many cars are normal now going through? At least four, right? It's, it's, your light's green. The car's just... Eh, 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 eh. And then the diamond lane. Coming back from Joshua Tree uh, a couple weekends ago. The, what, what did they even put the lanes there for in the first place? I mean, people going in and out of the diamond lane like it's nothing anymore. Remember, it used to be like a big deal. I mean, if you got caught, that's the, the word. You don't get caught. People know that they can get away with it. So they're disobedient to the traffic laws. Ain't nobody going to catch them. They think they can get away with it. No one sees. No one's looking. So pick up on those thoughts there as we go into the study now on obedience. Because, see, that's the same thing that I see happening in Christianity. You know what? I can kind of do what I want to do. I might know what God's word says. I might know this or that, a little bit about it. But you know what? I've done it one time, two times, three times. Hey, nothing's happening. Nothing happened. So I think I can just get away with it because nobody sees what I'm doing. And you know what? That is such a serious trap and lie of the devil. Because God knows exactly what's going on. He sees what you're doing. He knows what you're doing. And and to obey or not to obey, this idea of disobeying God, there are serious consequences that can come from our disobedience. Now, God, he's slow to anger, abounding loving kindness, merciful, gracious. He doesn't want to smack us every time we sin. Thank God he didn't smack us every time we sinned because none of us would be alive, right? But we can only play that game for so long. But are you thinking that you're getting away with something even tonight? And that's my heart for us tonight. I'm going to give opportunity for us, for you to get right, to come down here in front, to be prayed for, to get prayed for. Because if you're flirting with something, if you're messing around with something, if you're doing something that you shouldn't do, and it hasn't been found out yet, that's the grace of God. But you know what? What is Numbers 32, 23? 
be sure your sin will find you out. Here's some illustrations here, but these are all true life illustrations. This isn't, these, none of these are made up. They're, they're the effects of disobedience that can have life-altering effects on you. It's only a little sex, but then you're pregnant. It was only a little drinking, but then it's DUI. It was only a little bit of looking, but now it's lusting. It's only a little bit of flirting, but now it's adultery. It's only a little money that I took, but now you're fired. It's only a little bit of porno, no big deal, but now you've been caught by your wife. Only a little lie, but then all the trust is gone. It was only a little text, but then your wife or your girlfriend saw it and dumped you. It was only a little yelling, and then this huge fight breaks out and you end up in jail. Am I making up any of those stories? And in the heat of it all, we just don't think about the consequences. Now, in the news, you guys have probably heard maybe about Pastor Bill Hybels from Willow Creek out there in Chicago, uh, resigning amid sexual misconduct allegations. Um, he says they're all lies. But we've heard that before, and, and only God knows the truth. But what we have found out is these women that are coming forward, I'd say 90% of them, they're telling the truth. Forty years, the guy has ran that ministry. Church, it's the fifth largest church in the United States. 25,000 people, 40 years, even if none of it's true, his resignation is tainted, tarnished. But I got to ask the question, how long did Bill think he could get away with it? And then the story of Pastor Bob Coy, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Four years ago, four years ago, Bob had the largest Calvary Chapel 25,000 people went to his church four years ago. And yet he resigned in disgrace, admitting to multiple affairs, sexual encounters for years. Must have thought that he couldn't get away with it. Got a little quiet in here. And how many of you know the story of Achan? Everybody likes to use that story because at the end, he was Achan. I wanted to throw a little levity in there, so you're all bummed out, like, oh, my gosh, what a Bible study is this going to be tonight? But it's true. Joshua 7. Lord said, do not take of the accursed things from Jericho. I'm giving you the city. Take the good stuff. Don't take the worthless stuff. The accursed meant that which was of the occult. God knew it right away, messed him up at AI, Speaks to Joshua, went through the whole, all the people. Finally comes to Achan. The consequence, not only did Achan lose his life, but his whole family was stoned. He thought that he could get away with it. And when you think that you're getting away with it, that is the most dangerous place to be. Because all the while, the devil, what's the devil telling you? Man, don't worry. God doesn't know. He can't see what you're doing right now. How about this one? Like, like Tomato says there in Disneyland at the Cars Land there. It's going to be fun. <laughs> and that's what the devil says. And they're all lies because God is pleading, stop, stop, stop. And the sad thing that I talk to the pastors that probably tell you that what we see with Christianity, with Christians, is that Disobedience is trending up. It's not trending down. It's, it's like what, what we need is a revival. We need God to come flat just, I mean, I'll tell you what, you guys are on fire tonight. I know I'm preaching to the choir because a lot of you are like, you're just so fired up for the Lord. It's amazing. Aren't you excited about being saved? Aren't you excited going to heaven? Woo! Let's just get Anthony back out and let's just sing the rest of the night. Amen? I'm telling you. But unfortunately, there are those that are here. And Christians are choosing to do what they want to do instead of doing what God's word says. And many problems in life do just from the fact that you're in disobedience. And, and this, this is one of the saddest commentaries. If I only I had obeyed God. 
I mean, think about that. Have you heard that from friends, people you know, right? Oh, even your own heart. Gosh. And it's like, it's like remember, you know, we have those dreams. The dreams are just horrible. And you're like, everything's gone, lost, whatever, whatever. And then you wake up, and you wake up, and you go, Oh, it was a dream. Praise the Lord. Oh, my gosh. You get on your knees. You ask God to forgive. This is a dream, but you're like, you know what I'm talking about? And yet, in reality, it's not a dream for some people. Bob Coy, that's not a dream. Bill Hybels, it's not a dream. It's reality. So all that to say tonight, number one, obedience as proof. And understand that, that in our disobedience, Besides the consequences that come from it, the, the biggest issue is that when I am in sin, I am broken in my fellowship with the Lord. He wants to be in fellowship with us. In his presence is fullness of joy. If I'm in sin, if I'm, in dis- if I'm walking in disobedience, my fellowship with God is broken. He still loves me as a son. I'm still saved in that regards. But man, look what we're missing out on. But it's interesting. Here in the book of 1 John and the, and the men... Just went through this book, incredible book. I'm telling you what, it's amazing. But in this book, in our verses, our passage, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, we actually see that John tells us that my obedience to his commands, his word is a proof of my salvation, if not proof alone that I am saved. And that's what John was trying to do in this book. A lot of proofs and truths for you to make sure, because how do you know that you're saved? The Bible tells me so. Yes, it does. But how do you know that you know? He says here, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commands. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So number one, proof I know him. This word, no, gnosko, to understand, to perceive. We, we have come to know him as Lord and Savior unto salvation. How? If we keep his commands. If I obey what he says, and if I don't obey what he says, I'm lying about knowing him as Savior. There's a guy that I've been ministering to and dealing with for years and years and years, and just trying to help him figure out this whole Christian walk of his, because he was always up and down, up and down a mess. And the big issue for this guy was drugs. Could not kick the crack. I didn't mean to phrase it like that, but he couldn't. It was just one of those, he, just, he couldn't do it. But he would come to church. He'd read his Bible. He, he would, okay, I'm stopping. I'm getting right with God. And he would do these circles. And I would lay it out from, here you go. Here, here's where you're at. Okay, here. He would never go far enough to actually get the help that he needs. Well, in the past few years, though, it's like, okay, I'm doing the drugs. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? I called him into my office and sat him down and said, you know what? I don't think you're saved. I don't think you're born again. (laughs) And finally, by the end of it, he finally realized, because here, Scripture lays it out. If you can continue taking those drugs without any repentance, without any thought of like, it's wrong, and still think that you're a believer, I have to question your salvation, of course, only God knows, but there's evidence, there's proof, proof that I know him. Second thing, we have proof that I love him. Verse five it says, but whoever keeps his word, truly love of God is perfected in him, or, or I've come to love him. And the only way that I can prove my love for God, really, when you think about it, is by doing what he says. It gets no simpler than that. Jesus said in John 15, or 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. That's pretty simple, huh? And John himself said in 1 John 5, 3, for this is how we show our love for God, by obeying his commands. If I say I love God, obedience isn't an option. It's not something I want to do when I feel like it, or maybe, you know, I'll obey God on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Or not Saturdays, forget that. I'll obey him on Mondays. That's easy. No. It's not an option, it's a commandment. If I say I love God, then why, though, do we choose at times not to do what he says? I think there's this subconscious thing that goes on with God because we know God is love, right? He loves us. 
And he, 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 he's ready to forgive us. So we think we can kind of fool God. We can kind of play this game where, you know what? Because, okay, God love. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, I, I'll do this. And then, that's right. Then, then, then I'll ask forgiveness. And voila. I can do, in a sense, what I want. Now, that kind of sounds a little crazy, but our minds are, are crazy like that. And it's, it's, of course, a motive that God knows and sees before you even think that. He knows the deep recesses of your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. Man, it's just this idea that we, we don't think there's going to be consequences. So there's proof that I know him, my obedience. Proof that I love him, my obedience. But also proof that I'm in him. Verse 6, he says here, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Aha. So he abides means to remain in intimate union with Jesus. I'm abiding in him. That person, he walks just as he walked. And of course, this metaphor uh, of, of walking is, is um, really us imitating Jesus. It's living in accordance with God's word and his will. And so one of the hallmarks of Jesus, of course, would be that he was obedient to his father, right? We would all agree with that. John 14, 31, Jesus says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. And obedience was how Jesus showed his love for the Father. John eight twenty nine. Jesus says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I always obey him. So if I'm walking like him and I'm obedient to his word, it proves that I abide in him and him in me. And John, again, um, reinforces that in 1 John when he says in chapter 3, verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us, and that is a proof as well. So, of course, why is obedience important? Man, it's proof that I know him, proof that I love him. I abide in him. So we got obedience as proof. But now we're going to talk about some consequences for disobedience. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. And this is where we're going to start going through the Bible, covering all kinds of ground here. Numbers chapter 20. We're going to talk about three men in the Bible and their stories of disobedience. And this is the, the consequences for disobedience. See, what time am I supposed to end now? I can't remember anymore. So 8.30, right? Jeff, Jeff said I could go as long as I want, just as long as I was done by Sunday. <laughs> Come on, folks, stay awake, everybody. You need to stand up and move around, that's fine. But consequences for disobedience. God's word is clear, Deuteronomy 28. There's 14 verses that Moses talks about that are blessings for obedience. And there's 54 verses, almost four times as many, for curses for disobedience. Moses makes it perfectly clear. Yes, there are blessings for obedience obedience, and there's consequences for disobedience. And the consequences, of course, can terribly alter your life. These three men, man, the stuff that they ended up going through. And the heart, of course, is that in looking at these consequences that these guys uh, endured, that it might stir our hearts. And I trust that God is already speaking. And if you get up and walk out, we're just going to know, see, that you, know, that you need to get right. You need to get right. You, you may be thinking you're getting away with it right now, and you may be. But you know what? It could happen when you get home. The, the revelation comes, a phone call, something happens, and there it is. You get home, and your wife says, uh, honey, what, what's this site on the, on the web? What's this website on the computer? It could happen, guys. So what we have here, first off, and consequences for disobedience, number one, is Moses' rebellion. Numbers chapter 20 here. Man, in this, this story, God speaks specifically to Moses on what to do. And this is his second, second time with the rock. First time everything went well with the rock. Exodus 17, God tells him, Moses, strike the rock. Moses did, water comes forth. This time it didn't go well at all. 
God spoke. Let's pick up the, uh, the story in verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin. Now, the first wilderness was the wilderness of sin. And maybe Moses went Buddhist on them. I don't know. Wilderness of Zin. In the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Now, this is 38 years into this deal. All right? And the people contended with Moses and spoke, and saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord, why have you brought us up out of the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness? I mean, whining, 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 and complaining. And no one can blame Moses for what he did here, but there was no justification. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is, it is not a place of grain or of figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of God appeared to them. All right, they're in the presence of the Lord. All right, they've had it, though. God knows it. So the Lord speaks to Moses, saying, okay, verse 8, take the rod, you and your brother, look at this, specific, and Aaron, and gather the congregation together. Now, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will, bring, it will yield us water. Thus you shall bring water from, for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Simple enough, right? Easy instructions. But what happens between the time that Moses leaves the presence of God till he's in front of the congregation? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. The devil gets in his head and fuels his anger. I'm telling you, I look at this and I go, man, Mo, it's a tough one here, Lord. I mean, who wouldn't have done what Moses did with these people whining and complaining? 38 years he put up with them. In regards to where you're at and maybe what you think is a justification for what you're doing, there is no justification. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's not according to what God says, it's wrong. So what happens here? So he gets up there, ready to go. All the people ready to go. All right. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, man, you can just hear the attitude, huh? Whoo, here now, you rebels. (laughs) Must we? Maybe he was thinking he and God were in this together, or maybe it was just him and Aaron. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted his hand with the struck the rock twice, bam, bam, with his rod. And water came out abundantly. Congregation and their animals drank. She's amazing. Even in our sin, God's still going to take care of the sheep. That's one thing that was blew our minds when Bob Coy fell. Dude was preaching pastors' conferences, anointed, crazy. Churches growing like crazy. All the while, all the while, he was in disobedience. Man. So then what happens here? Then verse 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses like, okay, come to the woodshed, you guys. Come, hey, Mo, Aaron, come here a second. I need to talk to you guys a second, Aaron. Because you did not believe me to hallow me or honor me as holy before in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you should not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. What was the consequence? Moses and Aaron were not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. What? That's crazy. Now, there's all kinds of types and symbolisms here with Christ and such that's another Bible study, but the reality is they disobeyed. Immediately, almost Aaron dies, verse 24, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Man. Then in Numbers 27, 12, Moses is told that he's going to die. He's not going to enter in. Deuteronomy 3, 23, Moses, Moses even pleads with God. I mean, like, I pleaded when I begged God, please, I, please let me go into the promised land. And basically God says in like, maybe modern-day vernacular, just shut up. I'm not kidding you. He says, be quiet. Enough. And then in Deuteronomy 32, 
Moses' last really messages to the, the children. He repeats the consequences that he's going to die. And ultimately, Moses' anger caused him to sin, right? Anger and pride. And you think about the horrible, horrible consequences of our disobedience and exploding into anger. Maybe even your family, man. Just think about that. You know, the, the fights, the yellings, the screaming, maybe the, the, the hitting, the stuff that you did, the stuff that we did. I remember in 1980, these things, you know, God will bring back to you. It's BC days, okay? Trust me, BC days. Um, I was drunk as usual, and my wife, future wife, was mad as usual. And I came home from, I don't know where I was at, and she's yelling at me, this and that. And so I get in the shower, and in anger, kid you not, I, I, I punched the shower doors. One of those shower doors that had the, the metal wires going through it, just shredded my, my fist here. Just, I mean, blood and water in the shower. She goes crazy, hysterical. The apartment manager comes running up the stairs, our apartment there, and, and it was an older lady named Faye. Wah! The place is just, it's, it was nuts. Put a big old towel on it, rushed to Kaiser and had him sewed up and everything. All because of anger. And of course, it could have been much worse. We've heard stories much worse. Getting in the car and driving like a maniac and crashing and such. Crazy thing with Faye, though, she was such a sweet lady. She put up with so much in that apartment complex. Actually, we got married while we were living there, too. So we ended up getting saved, right? And we come to church, and then I don't know how it all worked out, but we actually got back in touch with Faye, our old apartment manager. She started coming to this church. Started coming to the church when it was over there on Torrance, and then when it moved to here, ended up having a great relationship with her, ended up marrying her, doing the marriage for her grandson, I did her funeral. I did her son's funeral. Um, I'm not saying that was a good thing as far as the consequences or the reasons behind it, but God does work all things out. So these consequences. Now, of course, the question they have to ask yourself, is God speaking you to do one thing, and are you doing another? God specifically spoke to Moses, do this. And what did Moses do? He did that. And he suffered for it. See, what God speaks, we got to do. Otherwise, be prepared, prepared for the consequences. Now, let's turn to 1 Samuel 13, and we'll see Saul's rejection. Saul's rejection. So we got Moses, man of God. Now, these guys were all handpicked by God, remember. And you would think that, well, they might get away with a little bit more because they are God's chosen men. No, no, God doesn't play that game. There's no partiality with God. You know, when... The, the commander of the Lord of hosts stood there before Joshua. Who are you for? You for us or against? ain't for any of you. I'm, I'm for God. None of you. So we see though, here now, though, in, in 1 Kings chapter 13, really we have two incidences of disobedience with Saul. 1 Samuel 13. And then we're going to turn the page to 15. Now Saul, of course, he's the first king. Verse one of, of chapter 13, it's like, it's only been two years. Now, a little bit going on here. The Philistines are amounting an army that is huge. It says that they were people as the sand of the sea in multitude. So, no doubt Saul's freaking out. The people are freaking out. Saul makes a deal with, with uh, Samuel, who is the prophet, the priest, the guy you know, running the thing at the time, the man of God. Says, okay, you come. I'll be there in seven days. I'll sacrifice. We'll get everybody spiritually prepared for the battle. We know that God will be there for us, and it's going to work out. All right? The story picks up verse 8. Then he, Saul, waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered. Why didn't he come? Maybe God was testing Saul's heart. So Saul said, Okay, bring a burnt offering, a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went to him to meet him that he might greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw, and now look at how many times he uses I. When I saw that the people were scattered from me, that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, 
The Philistines will now come down out of Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And here is the, the, the first strike. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall, be, shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord's commanded. Saul takes matters into his own hands. Sounds like us, huh? I take care of this, God. I got it. I got it. I mean, because there is a need, though. There was a need. We got to sacrifice. So if there's a need, is it okay? So money's a little tight. There's a need. So does that mean it's okay? So I'll take money from my employer. Or here's a heavy one. Maybe, maybe you haven't been with your wife for a while, and there's a need, and you go out on the business trip. Ain't nobody going to know turn on the TV, you turn on the computer, or worse, make a phone call, all because of a need. And need doesn't justify the disobedience. Turn to chapter 15, one page over. And this really is, is the coup de grace for Saul and his kingship. He just so messes up. It's sad to see. We're going to read this whole passage. This is a great passage for leadership. It's only 8 o'clock. we got a half an hour, plenty of time. You guys awake still? Somebody's sleeping out there. Do this to them. Tell them to stand up. Let's get going. We need to hear this stuff. Chapter 15, Saul's second act of disobedience, Saul's rejection. Really, in reality, Saul decided to do some of what God said, but not all of it. We call that partial obedience that came away with incredible Consequences, Saul thinking again, thinking he could get away with it. There's that word, thinking he could get away with it. Verse 1, chapter 15. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus the Lord hosts, says, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed, ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. That's in Exodus 17. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly, hear these words, clear as a bell, utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman and infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. So Saul gathered people together, numbered them in Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers, that's a big army. 10,000 men of Judah, Saul came into the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Skipping down to verse 7, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. But here it comes. Here, what happened? He was doing so well. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So you saw, hey, we're going to get some good stuff out of this. We're not destroying all this. There's some big money in this stuff. And the king, they're not quite sure why he spared the king. I think it was because you could use the king kind of as a prop. Look what I've done and more power. Verse 10, though, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, here it is. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. He cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed set up a monument for himself. Mount Carmel is a little statue. Man, I did pretty good here. I'm doing really good as king. And he's gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you, the Lord. Whoa. And again, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Man, here's another one of these. This is a punch to the throat right here, if you ask me. Verse 14, but Samuel said, 
What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul says, ha. He starts blaming right away. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep of the oxen and sacrificed to the Lord your God. And the rest they have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to him, to Saul, be quiet. Stop. Don't say any more. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to me, and, he, and Saul said to Samuel, he said, speak on. Almost like, bring it. But also like he was given Samuel permission because he's a king. Okay, I'll let you talk to me. Samuel's like, oh my gosh, you're in so much trouble. Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? The story of, of Saul, man, he, he was humble at the beginning. When they were going to inaugurate him, when they were going to bring him for the people, they couldn't find him. Why? He was hiding. He was scared. He was like, and yet, a couple years into this saying, I'm Saul. I mean, here's, here's my monument. Man, Samuel just breaks it down. Now, the Lord has sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down? Here it is. Swoop down on the spoil. Man, I'm going to get some of this stuff. And do evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on a mission while the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. What are you talking about? You're, you're mixed up here. And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And that wasn't true either. Because if you know how Saul ends up dying, you know that the one who killed him was who? A few of you out there. Amalekite. An Amalekite. Man. Then again, he's blaming. But the people took of the plunder of the sheep, the best of the things which, I, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice the Lord your God. Hey, Gilgal, I don't know what they were doing. And here's Samuel. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in religious things? Or maybe doing things outwardly, but in your heart, there's no obedience whatsoever. As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or listen and obey than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, and your pride is iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected Saul's rejection. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and he also has rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, here comes the, the fake, the worldly sorrow. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord your word, uh, in your words. He was doing good until he said, because. I think it was, um, yeah, it was um, oh, Romaine at, at Costa Mesa. We'd call these yabut sheep. Oh, yeah, yabut, yabut, yabut. Yabut sheep. Because, because I feared the people and obeyed the voice. He was doing good until he said, because. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Basically, he was saying, okay, Samuel, take care of this. You can take care of this. You've heard that before? Okay, we've got to take care of the problem. We've got to take care of your mess up. We've got to cover this thing up. A little of that going on in the news right now, huh? Got to cover this thing up. We've got to take care of the problem that you caused. Samuel had nothing to do with it. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over the sheep, over Israel. And as Samuel turned away to go away, Saul seized the edge of the robe and tore it. Man, this is killer stuff. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours. And this is, I mean, how much deeper can this guy get put? Who is better than you? Who is better? So we see the consequences. God rejected Saul from being king. He gave it to David, as we know. Eventually, Saul goes crazy, and he ends up dying in battle along with his sons. And his disobedience, in essence, you guys, took down his family, took him and his family down. All of him and his sons died. So we got to ask the question, why did we disregard the instructions to do our own thing, and why are we only doing part of what God says? 
Because a lot of times I'll take out of God's word, ooh, I like this part, I'll do this or this. This part says, what? <laughs> I ain't doing that. Man, that's like, that's going against me. That's going against what I want. That's going against my flesh. Picking and choosing, picking and choosing from God's word. Picking and choosing is going to get you in trouble. Saul picked and he chose. Man. 99% obedience is a head-on collision with God. It's all or nothing, folks. Because obedience, of course, is better than sacrifice. So we see Saul's rejection. Now turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. Just a couple chapters over. And we're going to talk about Solomon. 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. What's, what did Jeff call that? Touch and swipe, touch and swipe, or turn the page. I love to hear the pages turn. I'm a page guy. Jeff's a page guy. Just saying. Just saying. Now we have, though, number three, the consequences for disobedience. Saul, Solomon's refusal. Chapter 11. Incredible story here. See, Solomon refused to do what he knew was right. He didn't follow after God like he knew he did, and he allowed his heart to turn from God. Now, it's interesting. Of course, now we know Solomon, the wisest man, right? God gives him all kinds of things because he starts off humbly and asks God, I can't do this. I need your help. God gives him help. Not only that, God takes and blesses him financially as well, all because he was humble before. But Deuteronomy 17, don't turn there, but here's instructions that are given for kings. And you know that Solomon knew this. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among the brethren who shall set, king, set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But here it is. He shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses to go back into sin. For the Lord has said, you will not turn away again. And here's the killer. Verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Pretty clear instructions. No ambiguity there. Also, it should be done that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and Levites. To make this man a man of God, he had to copy himself God's word. Amazing. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, and he, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words in his law and his statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above the brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to turn to the right hand or the left, and he may prolong, that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of of Israel. So there's where these instructions. So, chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, completely compromising God's word. And from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods, Solomon's refusal. Solomon clung to these in love. Really should say lust. Wouldn't love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. That's just crazy, isn't it? And for, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom of the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not fully follow the Lord as his father David did. Verse 7, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and here's the killer, and on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Oh my gosh. Do you know what that worship with that God was? Moloch was this, this deity that they would take and, and they would heat, heat him up, this God, this idol thing. And then they would take the children from all these thousands of 
Why? Whatever. He would sacrifice him on there. This is Solomon. King Solomon. Chosen by God. Scripture is so clear what he was doing, what they were doing. Deuteronomy speaks of it. Leviticus 20 speaks of it. Amazing. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to God. So the Lord became angry with Saul, Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord of Israel who had appeared to him twice even. Moses, I mean, um, Solomon had two visits from God. Two. Imagine having one visit from God. Man, that would be pretty awesome, but he had two visits. Like, here I am, Solomon, let's talk about this stuff. Personal visits. Verse 10, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. He disobeyed. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and not kept my covenant, my statutes, I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. So what happens, of course, the consequences, see, there had been peace for 40 years, all because of God. Not anymore. God raises up adversaries to Solomon. The kingdom fell apart. It was divided in two. Israel was eventually destroyed and Judah of course, was sent to exile all because of Solomon's refusal to obey what the word said. Ultimately destroyed his family. His son took over, miserable kingship, and it all came to an end. You've got to ask yourself, though, the question, how many families have been destroyed by their parents' disobedience? Maybe our own, with our families, before we came to Christ. Maybe still. Maybe you're still having these effects. Man, I'm telling you what, my parents' divorce when I was 11 years old, man, it ruined our family. That is still the single most um, devastating event that's ever happened in my life. The single most devastating event was when my parents divorced, all because of their disobedience. Not saying that they were Christians when it happened, but still, they knew what was right. And, and really, it set all of my brothers and sisters uh, on a path of drug and alcohol abuse that continues with some of them today. Sad. Question is, are you refusing to do what you know God's word says? Maybe like Solomon thinking that you know better? Does it apply to you? You're above the law, above God's word, or that you're thinking that you're getting away with it? disobedience and why is obedience so important because again the consequences man as we know some of us are here saved because of the consequences of our disobedience praise God for that but you know what the carnage the collateral damage the the wreckage along the way I I wouldn't wish that on anybody so we have the consequences for disobedience now number three the blessings for obedience we got 15 minutes can we do it the blessings for obedience. Go to James with me. James chapter 1. Now we kind of turn it around. It gets a little better here. The blessings for obedience. And again, God so desires to bless us, just as, as the Father wants to bless an obedient child. And He loves to see us walking in fellowship with Him. And He knows that when we're not, we're in sin, it's the fellowship broken. Man, he doesn't want that at all. He wants us together. So here we have the blessings for obedience. Number one, we have James's reasoning. I love how he puts this. It's, it's this reasoning he has. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Lay aside all disobedience. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here it is, though. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Don't just hear it tonight. Don't just read it tomorrow. Don't just speak it, but do what it says. Do it. Obey what it says. James goes on, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. He heard it, but he forgot the word. Did not do anything with the word that he heard. Verse 25, but he who looks 
into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Here it is. What's it say? This one will be blessed in what he does. The blessings for obedience, you guys. The blessings. This one will be blessed in what he does. So we have James's reasoning, but now we have Jesus's reward. Turn to Philippians for me. To the left, about 15 pages. Your fingers getting sore there? Good. You need to go through the word of God. As you go through it, it goes through you. Amen? So in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 5 through 11, we we see Jesus' reward. And this was what God laid out for him for being obedient. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself, became, what's that word? Obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Oh my gosh, the death of the cross. God coming down, condescending and dying on a cross for us. What obedience that is. Oh my gosh, to the death. Are we being obedient even half of that much? And here's the reward. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Basically, he exalted Jesus. He just ain't going to go any higher as a reward for his obedience. I mean, think about it. Every knee. How much is left after every? I mean, every knee, every tongue. And this was Jesus' reward. These blessings for obedience. And God wants to bless us for obedience. Proverbs 13, 30, he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And folks, we need to do the right thing. God blesses us when we're doing the right thing. Jesus did the right thing. And guess what? We are his reward. We are the fruit of his obedience to his father. So the blessings of obedience, folks, and it's, like I said, the greatest blessing of obedience is it's you and you. You're hanging out. You got fellowship. He's abiding in you. And, and it's not these blessings, well, you know what, if I obey the Lord, that means, guess what? You know, I'm going to be driving this kind of car. I'm going to have this kind of house. Or I'm going to have this much money. Or this. You really want to change, trade all that for the presence of God and a relationship with Jesus? True? No. Because this relationship is what is going to carry us into heaven. And the reward, of course, now we're talking. Now we're talking. So the blessings of obedience. And lastly, number four, obedience as a choice. Obedience as a choice. And the amazing thing about it, God gives us a choice. He gives us a choice. Isn't that just crazy? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be nuts? I mean, you know what? You don't have a choice. Here it is. This is what you're supposed to do. And you're like a robot. And we've heard it before. If we didn't have a choice, then it wouldn't be love. And my choice to obey God is the way that I show him my love. And when I choose not to obey him, what am I showing him? What am I telling him? It's like I'm giving more respect and more honor to the devil than I am to God. When I disobey God. Man, aren't you glad God's patient? (laughs) So obedience has a choice. It's a choice for life. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's the last time you got to turn in your Bible. Deuteronomy 30. This is a choice for life. I love this scripture. Speaks for itself. Moses, his last message to the children of Israel, almost to the point he's, he's dying. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 11, and it's interesting, my Bible, right over the top, it says, the choice of life or death. Maybe that's what it says in your Bible as well. 
Chapter 30, verse 11. Seven minutes. For this commandment which I command you today, it's not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. God's word is not that hard to obey and understand. I mean, it's pretty simple. Just read the Ten Commandments alone. Okay, that's what he's saying to him. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us to bring it that we may hear and do it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. And I wrote here in my Bible, it's in your hands too. It's not in the Bible, but it's in your hands. Aren't you glad? I mean, how lucky we are. We have God's word in our hands. They didn't have it in their hands like They had it here, though, because they were commanded to memorize it. Verse 15, though. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear... And you're drawn away and you worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing, cursing. Therefore, what's it say? Let's say it again. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, to obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. It's a choice for life, you guys. A choice for life, but I actually fooled you because there's one more turn you gotta make. (laughs) Just trying to give you a little break there. Turn now to Joshua chapter 24. That's the last one. Joshua 24 Just a, I don't know, 10, 15 pages to the right. Joshua. Moses said it was a choice for life. Joshua tells them in so many words, it's a choice that we make daily, folks. Choice to obey, we make daily. And of course, we know the story here. Joshua is ready to die. It's the end of his Time being over the children of Israel. He's done his job. But the children of Israel are already kind of getting squirrely. And Joshua knows it. And, and yet he, he's telling them, hey, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. This is, of course, the Lord speaking. You did not labor and you dwell in him. You eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, Joshua is saying, fear the Lord Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself, here it is, this day, whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served, which were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, and we've heard this a thousand times, we are going to do what? We're going to serve the Lord. He's, he's telling them, you know what? If you want to be disobedient to God, go be disobedient to God. That's your business. But guess what? After all that God has done for you, after all that God has saved you from, after all he's, how much blessings he's given to your life, man, this day, you guys, this day, serve the Lord. Application. Three minutes. We're not going to make it, but that's okay. Are you willing and ready to obey? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Because God wants to bless, not to curse. But we can tie his hands. When disobedience gets in the way, he wants us loving you guys, not hating. He wants us forgiving, not harboring bitterness. He wants us humble, not prideful. He wants us joyful, not angry. These are the things that God wants. He wants us holy, not lustful. He wants us pure, not perverted by the junk on the internet. He wants us doing what he says is right. And he wants us doing and not just hearing. That's what God wants. But this is stuff that's all good for us. And ultimately, though, the problem really comes down to it is probably with Moses, Saul, and Solomon. Anger is just the root of pride or or an outflow of pride. And this disobedience that the guys had, there was a lack of humility. 
These guys called by God, specifically called by God. And yet God dealt so heavily with them. And yet we think, well, me and the man upstairs, we got, you know, we got a good thing going. And, you know, God, you know me. You know my heart. You know, like Popeye would say, I am what I am. And, you know, God, you know what I am. And, and yet we walk out the door and do exactly what we want. And God's like pleading. Pride. Is pride what keeping you from obeying? Thirdly, true love for God is spelled O-B-E-Y. Do you really love him? Do you really love him? Do you? Then keep his commands. Because he wants to love you and he only wants the best for you and for me. We love him back. And a side note, we, we got to obey him even when things aren't going right in our lives. Because that's not justification for us to disobey him. And there's a lot of times things aren't going right. But guess what? You still got to do what he says. Then lastly, though, as we close, maybe you're caught in some type of disobedience tonight. Maybe you're caught in some, obviously, some type of sin. The question is, when is it going to be time for you to make it right with God? Or are you going to continue thinking that because I've been getting away with it, I, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep this thing going a little bit longer. I'm going to keep playing around a little bit longer. I'm going to keep acting the way I'm acting a little bit longer. I'm going to keep denying that I got a problem. No. See, the thing is that God wants to come and bless. God wants to change. He wants you to return Deuteronomy 30, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the cursing which I set before you, call to them to mind all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, when because your disobedience, your life is a mess, that was me adding that, but, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, according to all they command you today and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from the captivity that you're in, maybe even tonight. Because if you're walking in sin and disobedience, you are. You're, you're captive. devil's got you. And the devil is trying to destroy your life. Still kill, destroy. Three-point message the devil has. The Lord will gather you back from captivity, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God is scattered. Speaking specifically to the children, the nation of Israel. And guess what? They're getting ready to celebrate 70 years of the fulfillment of this passage of scripture. But as it applies to me and you tonight, do you want to get right with God? Because now is the time. And I might ask anybody here as the worship team comes back out, as we sing this song, and we're going to stand, and we're not trying to embarrass anybody, but you know what? This is serious business, folks. If you're messing around, if you're in the middle of something that you know is wrong and you haven't been found out yet, do you really want to go through that? And I believe that God pleaded with Bob Goy, Coy. I believe God pleaded with Bill Hybels. Whatever it was that was going on, it was kept between them and God. God knew their heart. God knew what was going on. And, and there could have been a time of just repentance, confession, forgiveness. Man, as far as east is from the west, man, your sins are on the ocean floor. It's God. Hey, we're good. Fellowship is restored. You are now repented, you have turned, you're going in the right direction, and you're going, oh my God, what kind of God is this that let me get away with this for so long, and yet now he's forgiven me, but you know what, my heart is clean, I'm free, I'm set free, I'm not bound with it anymore, I'm not doing it anymore. <sighs> Sounds like somebody getting saved, huh? Maybe that's what it is tonight for you. Maybe. Well, let's all stand. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to invite anybody here. And this is not about embarrassing. It's not about whatever. It's you. Come down here. Let's pray. Let's get right with God. Let's go out of here set free. Let's go out of here free people from the sin, the bondage, whatever it is, the disobedience that is there, whatever it is, because it all stops right here. It's all gone. It's all erased. But you step out the door and it's still playing with it, it may be ready to meet you when you get home. Father, do thank you again for your word. Thank you for your tremendous love for us. Thank you, Lord, you love us so much. 
Thank you, Lord, that you do not deal with us according to our sins. (laughs) None of us would be here. But, Lord, there's only so long that you allow these things to go on in our lives. And I pray that there are any here tonight, God, you have spoken. Your word has spoken. It's, it's like they know that the covers have been pulled and it's time to get right. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, speak, minister, Lord. Don't let anybody leave here tonight without getting that right with you, God. And Lord, I pray the people that know that you're just so, your word says, Psalm 84, you are ready to forgive. You're right here. You're like, come on, let's, let's get done with this thing. You want fellowship restored. You want joy restored. You want the bondage and the chains of Satan to be gone. Lord, let it happen. So if that is you tonight, eyes closed, heads bowed, I'm going to call you out. You got to come forward. Let's not play around. We're going to sing this song, and you come. You come right down here in front, and we'll pray.